Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Breakdowns for Breakfast. I am your host, Danger. And joining me, as always, my uh, my co-host, my, you'd say, I guess, partner in crime, even though, I mean, we have fun doing this and it should be a crime how much fun we're having. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Monster. Say hi, Monster. I was going to say, are we doing something illegal? Am I unaware that, I mean, I pay for my streaming service. I, I listen to this legit. I don't know what you're doing. No, I, I listened to this legit. I Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a shared I've got a I've got a shared plan for this for for Spotify. You know, with Look, I'm no longer on probation, but if we're if, if we're getting into something uh nefarious, I need to know. No, surprise nefarious activities. Okay, perfect. Yep. I want to keep you on your toes. So, today we are talking Closure in Moscow's album first, Temple Monster. What experience did you have with this band what knowledge of them go forth go on tell me your feelings tell me what you think okay i'll try to keep this brief zero okay i had never even heard of this band before you said you wanted to do this record okay all right cool so for me this band actually was brought to me by a good friend of mine years ago and i listened to i think this album and the one after it, uh, or no, the EP before it, excuse me. They've the only time. put out a couple things, right? Yeah, they uh, they put out Pink Lemonade was the last full-length album, and they put out a couple songs here or there. They've really been inactive. Since... I think they put out something this year, though. Yeah, they just put out a track, I think, just one single song. Yeah. They, yeah. Again, they've just really gone inactive, and I don't like it because I want them to come back because... Their album after this, Pink Lemonade, was an interesting little development. And then their newest song made me go, okay, what are you guys doing? What's happening? Yeah. So this band was one, again, I listened to constantly. And actually, so I had an ex-girlfriend. And between Christmas and, and, excuse me, Christmas and New Year's, we would actually go see her family out in L.A. And there was one year that we were actually going to L.A. Now her mom worked for United. And so we got... Super cheap flights, but we were not the preferred people on the plane in the order of seating. So there was this one trip we did. I think we did three trips out there. We got to the airport and then we flew to Dulles to lay over. And that was where I realized I did not have my cell phone. I left my cell phone at the house. Mm. And then right after I realized that, we understood that in order for both of us to get to LA, we were going to have to go on separate flights. Now that is not a comfortable place to be in, in a place where you're used to having a cell phone. And then I had a little MP3 player and I had this album on it. And I sat with my headphones on and a book with her phone number written in the back of the book. So I could get in touch with her. And I listened to this album about three times over sitting there in the Dulles airport now, I also found a payphone that allowed me to use the same quarter over and over and over. It just kept giving it back to me, and it still gave <laughs> me the call. So that was that was a nice little touch. But this album is that trip to me. It was stress, but it was a moment of like, you know, solace, a, a moment of clarity and getting it together. And I got to LA, and everything was fine. I got my cell phone, and you know, I, I forget who it was that shipped it out to me the day before we ended up leaving, but. I- Oh, good. I think, I think we've talked about this on other episodes or just in conversation, but for a lot of people, they hear a song and it takes them back to a particular situation or a person or whatever. But when you consume the quantity of music that like you and I do and, and people that really love music, I think you have whole albums and whole artists that do that. And, uh, cause You're not I, wrong. I have a few. Yeah, I have a few albums that I can say, start to finish, remind me of a certain time period. Maybe this track is about this person, this track about that, but it's all collective. So yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Sort of like have a whole 45-minute album that corresponds to a particular thing in your yeah. life. So there are plenty of songs individually that do that, but there are albums that do for me and for you and... And other people I know for a fact don't have that. They don't have where an album itself relates back to a certain moment and a certain memory. And 
I have quite a few of those. So, okay, so to get into this album right here, why don't you tell me what genre of music this is? Because when when you first told me about this, and I pulled it up on Spotify, to anybody that doesn't know how Spotify works, you know, the albums come up and then it'll show if there's a podcast about it, whatever. And then it'll show you playlists that yes. the artist is featured on. And every single one of them was emo, emo this, emo that. And I'm like, oh, that's... There's some of that I like, but I'm not a huge fan of that genre as a whole. So I was a little bit, uh, when I hit play, though, that's not at all what I heard. Right. And and so I'm actually going to go with where I had said before in a previous episode, I think it was in the Thornhill episode, that I think shoegaze is a much bigger genre. And sure. things get sh- get shoegazed <laughs> yeah, more yeah. than they deserve. I think emo is the same way with it. Where, you know, Coheed and Cambria would be considered an emo band, but they're not an emo band. They are just, they, they have an element of emo, so they're too emo for other places. And so things just get end up end up getting put into places just to help people feel better. If I were to categorize this, it would be emo pop prog. <laughs> I put emo soul pop <laughs> okay <laughs> so i i could agree with the soul part of it actually like it's just it's got a bit of the soul influence on it yeah and there's there's one song in particular when we get kind of going track by track that really shows that off and then when i listen to some of their other stuff i heard more of it in some of those songs um it's an element there but i will say um Yeah, you got to have the emo qualifier. Like, that's definitely in there, uh, in large part due to the vocals. Um, I think that uh, that's a big part of the emo tag on on a lot of this. So I feel like each member of this band is very talented individually. I don't always feel like they come together and make a great song completely. But I do think that each of them have certain qualities. And I think the soul really lays more in the bass of the band. I feel like the vocals is more in the emo prog. I feel like guitar is more in the prog world. You know, I I feel like there's different parts to all of it. And I feel like the drums are just kind of a mix of everything and just, you know, conform to different songs. Yeah. So, so musically, you know, I got a lot of bands like protest the hero at the drive-in like that kind of like frenetic pop punk metal. Like it's sort of, it's, it sort of has a little bit of that going on. The guitar players are really good. They do a lot of uh, hammer ons and pull offs and have these little pentatonic riffs that they like to use. Um, even, even one or two parts that get into sort of that neoclassical hair metal stuff real briefly. Yeah. Um, but then the vocals are what kind of grounds it back to, Fallout Boy, Panic at the Disco, that real high pitch, almost falsetto-y at times. Um, so what I, I actually what I actually said about this band when I first heard them is if Say Anything had a prog baby with At the Drive. Yeah, there you go. Yep, yeah. yep. And uh, Say like, Anything. I felt like you were um, going down that track. And, you know, I felt like this is just a mashing of, like, Say Anything, At the Drive-In, Atreyu, and Coheed and Cambria. <laughs> like, yeah, just, uh, and I think that's where we get all of those those beats. And and uh, I also heard, and I'm, I know you know this band, but they're not super well known as Chiodos. Oh yeah, I hear a lot of that in there too. Not quite as heavy and dark as Chiodos likes to get, but that same sort of, I don't know. I, I use the word frenetic energy because yeah. it just feels very all over the place yes not necessarily in a bad way because it keeps it interesting however i will say like okay so never heard it before Mm -hmm. you told me to put it on i started listening to it and was just like wow 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 this isn't what i was expecting i'm having a great time and i will say every time i went back and started it over again it lost a little bit of that sheen now some of those bands we just mentioned, Protest the Hero at the Drive-In, Coheed and Cambria, I feel like every time I went back and started to listen to it again, I started to hear new things. I started to pick up on 
that sounded real chaotic, but now I catch the groove and I, I see what they're doing. This one didn't quite do that for me. This one wasn't one where like I jumped back in and was like, oh man, I, I forgot how much I love this. Each time it sort of was like, oh yeah, this this part's cool. Oh, oh right, right. I like when they do this thing. Like yep. it didn't quite ugh, like absorb into me as much as some of those other ones. So I'm going to agree with pretty much everything you said, but a little bit differently. So this album to me is kind of like a really good movie without surprises. <laughs> and you can always enjoy going back to the movie, but you don't catch anything new. You know, I found the one thing that I found new things in this was actually to listen to it through headphones. But what I found was just that things were just happening in different sides, which made it more fun, but mm -hmm. no nuances really jumped out at me. You know, there's one or two songs that are better headphone songs than the rest of the album, but overall you don't really find new things. Now I don't feel like that takes away from the replayability of the album, but it's not like you go back to it because you're finding new stuff. You just go back to it for, let's be honest, there's just catchy hooks all over this damn thing. There well, are catchy, I mean, there's catchy songs, catchy bits of songs. Let's put it that way. That's what I was just getting ready to say, though, is I think it lacks in the hook department. And that's the problem. Really? Because I, yes, because like there's not a chorus that gets stuck in my head. There's not a sing-along part that I really feel like and and to be honest I think that's kind of why they didn't break out into the mainstream a little bit more just from listening to this knowing when it came out knowing what was popular at the time this slots in real nicely with a lot of those kind of bands there's not the big catchy hook that you have on fallout boy songs my chemical romance songs even the vocals are sort of staccato-y, fast-paced, and I'm not saying that there's not stuff in here that's catchy. I'm just saying that the actual like chorus hook you in, get stuck in your head earworms, I don't feel like there's a lot of that on this. So I can say that there are very few earworms on this. Like It's maybe a word, a line, or something like that, but there's not really any earworms on this, and I think that might be one of the reasons why I like it, because... While I still think there are catchy hooks all over the place in this song, in this album, and there are great moments, you know, his vocals are wonderful on every song, even though to me, this is a very front heavy album. You know, the, the last half of the album really yeah. falls off for me. I'm but, glad to hear you say that. Yeah. Okay. So actually the first four songs on this album are fantastic. I love them. Five is good, but it's not as good as the first four. <laughs> you know, it's. It, I still think five is better than the rest of the album, but hey, oh, after that, it, the album really loses steam to me. To me, the first four songs are next to flawless. I mean, they're just damn good songs, but they do lack the earworms that you're speaking of, but they all have catchy little hooks and grooves all within them. But then I can also put the album down and walk away from it and not have those things live in my head, which I kind of like because when you, when you get a, a, a melody, when you get something stuck in your head for a song, that's what you remember of the song. That's what you think of in the song. The rest of the song doesn't matter because you're waiting for that moment to come up. You may enjoy the whole thing, but the rest of the album kind of loses, you know, loses its appeal because you've got that part of the song stuck in your head. But this album doesn't do that to me. After five, I pretty much kind of, I don't want to say check out, but the rest of the album to me really is a great background album. I have had the album playing in the background. I've had it playing in headphones while I've been doing stuff. And I enjoy the whole thing from a distance. You know, mm. I, I think that the way they close the album is really a great move. I think the way they open the album is a great move. But Again, it's a front-heavy album. Well, since you brought up the first four tracks, let's just go ahead and get into sort of like some of the songs themselves. Okay. Um, and so the first song, Kissing Cousins. Yes.
So, like I said, I had never heard this band before. You told me to check out this album. I put it on. As I before I hit play, I see they're on all these emo playlists and stuff. So I didn't know what to expect. It was highly impressed. Like mm-hmm. the guitar playing is above and beyond most of the other bands around this time that were kind of in this genre. There's a lot going on here, and it it sort of took me by surprise. I wasn't expecting it to be that complex and. Uh, again that frenetic energy i liked it i liked it a lot and i was very excited to to get going going into the album yeah so i think it's funny that you're saying that because you asked me like i don't know two or three days after after the last we recorded last episode you're like hey do you want to hear what i think about about closure of moscow nope i'm gonna go ahead and guess (laughs) and that's pretty much what i thought you were gonna say (laughs) so yeah okay all right so that intro i i love a little like rim shot drum roll and it yeah it does that from that it's like every like four seconds a new instrument comes in and then yeah. the the song explodes and i tried to find words to put together for it but the song explodes musically and has a furious flurry of soprano <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to put it. Yeah, but it's like it just it happens and it's just holy shit, what just happened? Yeah. You know, it it's great. And then that chorus is really just a smashing of like 90s dance and R&B. Yeah, so that's kind of where I got the soul thing from, but even less the 90s stuff as much as that second wave of 80s dance like the bravery and killers and block party i feel like that is in there too not as much on this song as in some of the others but i i would think that would be a little bit of an influence on these guys too so this so the first two songs kissing cousins and the next reindeer age They both have something that the rest of the album does not. And it's that this song has just these like driving guitar riffs. And mm-hmm. it's almost like the his soprano plays with the guitar riffs. It's like mm-hmm. they never overpower each other in this song. Not once. And then to uh to what you were saying, it does slide into and the reason why I said nineties is because there was a very different 90s dance thing happening oh, sure. than any other time. And yes, the the funk elements definitely do come in, but I the funky bass just is all throughout this album. Yeah. And that's where I really feel like they carry that funk element in. And we do get a lot of touches of, you know, really 70s funk, you know, and yeah. 70s R&B, you know, when R&B was really you know, coming into and blooming. And I, I love it. I I don't know that the first two songs on this first three songs on this album, I just, I can't get enough of. So, yeah. So when track three starts sweet, well, yeah, well, hang on. Let's talk about, let's talk about reindeer age real quick because you just, I I just, I just touched on a little bit, but reindeer age. Because I, I will say Kissing Cousins and Reindeer Age, I have in my notes that like right this second talking to you, I can't tell you exactly what makes those two songs different. They sound different when you listen to them, but they incorporate a lot of the same instrumentation styles and stuff. It's not until track three, Sweetheart, when I feel like it actually, they throw something new at you. So Reindeer Age, I really feel like, follows kissing cousins in a great way to where it feels like it's one big track where it yes but it doesn't get tiring and that's one of the things i do want to say about this band is i feel like they have plenty of prog elements in there but they don't take forever to get to the point i mean the longest song on this album is what like four and a half minutes you know which is not a really long track i mean it's it's a longer song but it's not a super long song you know what? Most yeah. songs are what? Like three, three and a half minutes, you know, but none of these songs feel like they take a long time. 
Yeah, and and when you've got a band like this that has that frenetic energy and that really just kind of all over the place spastic, you know, tonality to it, it can become tiresome. Uh, but I think the reason that this album doesn't really get to that is due in large part to the vocalist because there is no screaming. There's no metal vocal. It's all clean vocal. And if there was screaming, I think that would wear you down faster. I think that screaming would be something that isn't needed on this album as a whole. Same. I, I feel like the I've, vocals are fine on this album. I've always been a big fan of super heavy music with clean, poppy vocals. Mm -hmm. And this isn't necessarily a pop vocal. This is more of the emo, you know, scene vocal that was kind of happening at the time. Right. But I still prefer it to the screaming that you would hear other bands do over this style of music. I love a good scream. I love a good screamer, but it has to be well-placed. Yeah, it has to fit. And I yeah. think that uh, the vocalist in this band is kind of, uh, amongst other things, just another part that makes it, you know, stand out. It's like you said about uh, Kohi, that the vocals aren't a hurdle, they're an asset. And Yeah, they're, they're not a bug, they're a feature. Right. Sorry, I just same here. I just picked the wrong words. Um, yeah. No, the analogy was the exact same. Just yeah. the words weren't as cute. Right. So <laughs> I think it's the exact same on this because I understand that his voice can be off-putting, but I think his voice is less off-putting than you know Getty Lee or Claudio and sure. you know. But yeah. it's it works. So now let's talk about sweet hashtag heart or sweetheart. <laughs> I've never really known how to quite pronounce sweet, that one. Sweet pound heart. Yeah. I went with hashtag because that's what the kids say now, but sweet number sign heart. There it is. Yeah. That, I love the way this song starts. That guitar oh yeah. riff at the beginning has a little bit of like a southern twang to it. It does. Yeah. I'm, where do you know where these guys are from? Australia, Melbourne. You and your Australia bands, I tell you. And actually, I never really put it together until like I was diving into this <laughs> one. But I was like, I'm listening to a lot more Australian music now. I guess <laughs> I really like the way this one starts. Mm -hmm. I like the guitars on this one. It still feels like the same band. It's it's congruent with the first two songs, but it has a little different pace to it, and I like this one a lot. So there was actually something about this song that I saw a while back and I wanted to find it again and put it in here just because I feel like th it's a great descriptor of this, that it cuts like a buzzsaw, not like a jigsaw that's cutting you apart. <laughs> and because it's like this song, like kind of comfortably puts you on edge, but also at ease. Like, it's just, it, it's, it's great. I mean, it's one of the catchiest songs I've ever heard but I can't tell you a thing about, I cannot repeat any to, of it to you now. And it does have really strong hooks, but the riffs on it, like it's just every part of this one. Again, the first three tracks on this album are great. They're just, they're just damn good songs. I don't know. It's, it's hard to like put too much more into it because like you were saying, they are all over the place. Like they have so many things yeah, where, it's hard to be like, I like this song because it does this real crazy guitar riff at this part. Yeah, they all do. Right. Like, and that's right. not a bad thing. It's just that it, it makes it difficult to like really nail down, you know, and I think having the sound clips in here will help people yeah. understand. It's like, yes, all these songs kind of sound the same, but, but they also don't. all sound very different. And, and then at the same the, time, still sounding the same. I don't know. It, it 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 is really hard. And I think that's one of the places where I had trouble where, you know, when we were texting about getting ready for this and I was like, I don't feel like I'm ready for it. But then I sat down and looked at my stuff and I'm like, nah, I'm ready for it. But yeah, you know, because it is so all over the place and it's just really hard to nail down certain things. Yeah. Yes. They'll have a little drum roll. Yes. They'll have a solo 
yes, his voice will be soaring, but that happens on every song. Right. So it's hard. Now, so, but I will say this next couple tracks, um, starting with number four, Vanguard. Felt like this one again. Mix it up a little. It starts almost Van Halen esque in a way, and this is where I really heard. I, I put in my notes. This one gives me a little bit of that sassy '80s resurgence sound. Uh, yeah. This is the one where I really heard the Killers and Block Party and the bravery happening, but it still has those neoclassical guitar riffs that the guys like to do and it even has this little like rock and roll clap drum breakdown thing happening yep don't just let him rock this house i couldn't do that even if i wanted to don't just let him rock this house i couldn't do that even if i wanted to sing. so this one stood out to me a little bit more yeah so vanguard does jump out and I read an interview with him, with the lead singer, and he he said something that I went and found again because I wanted to put in there. And he said that this song was an exercise in thesaurus masturbation. <laughs> <laughs> because if you actually break down, the, if you look at the lyrics, his like he doesn't really pick <laughs> common words to put in for things. And no. and I understand why after reading that before is like. Okay, yeah, he really tried to stretch the words and and pull different stuff in. And that's that's fine. That's cool to me. This has one of the poppiest choruses on the entire record. And then they broke it up, which I appreciated, with where it did have a quick break before the chorus. So it's like, I feel like they knew that it was going to be a little bit cumbersome at this point. Your ears were going to start getting tired. And so they gave you a, a break in the chorus. They gave you the, you know, kind of trippy delay with the guitar. You know, they did mix up a little bit more on this. And then they broke it up with that, you know, almost break entirely in music where they just yeah. gave you clapping, you know, yeah. to keep the rhythm going, which I I like because it's like they recognized what was happening. But then also at the same time, this is not a track that lets you breathe. Like you no. you, you get in it and you're in it the entire way through. And again, because of the production and because of the clean vocal, it never feels tiresome. Like I've got a few albums that I want to do for the show that they do, they will tire you out, but that's part of what they're trying to do where this feels like just real upbeat, fun time without that. Can't like it never gets to that point. So let's talk about the production of this album because the production of this album, I think is a great and wonderful thing. Most of this album was recorded at one of the guys. I don't remember who one of the guys parents barn. I can hear that. And so it's still, the production on it is still very clean. I love the production on this album, but you also hear that they are in a space where they're enjoying themselves. They're having fun. One of the songs on here, when we get to it, I'll I'll jump into it. It's about a fun night out. So this album was fun to make and you can hear it in it. And I think that's one of the things that jumped out to me about. And I didn't even know that until digging into this, that that's what was going on. Like I knew that they recorded part of it at one of their friend, one of the guy's parents' barns, but I didn't realize how much they did. And I really think that that translates on this. And that's something that actually gets missed from a lot of albums that we listen to is, yeah, it's a really good album. We could talk about the musicality of it and how great they are. But if you're not in a fun space, if you're not having fun making it, then that doesn't translate. And it definitely does on this album. And I think that that's why I like it so much. It it does. And I think that just like we've talked about on the Pulse Ultra episode, just like we've talked about on the Memphis Mayfire episode, just like we talked about on a lot of these episodes, that when there is a genre of music that is popular, 
you get a lot of other bands that get signed up that have similarities to those bands. And I think that's something one, that's always happened, though. It has. It has. And one of the things that oftentimes happens is you get the same producers that use the same guitar tones, the same drum tones, and that the marketing behind that is, okay, band X is popular, so if we make band Y sound more like band X, they'll sell more records. But then they and end up becoming a C and D level band. Exactly. Whereas with these guys, I feel like this doesn't sound exactly like those contemporary bands that we keep bringing up. This, and a part of that is because the way it's recorded. Like it feels, it doesn't feel like a a polished studio album. It feels like they recorded in a barn. They probably recorded almost everything live as a band and then went back and retracked guitars and retracked vocals to clean it up, get everything in tune and, and everything like that. But I would imagine there was a lot of playing together for the recording. And that's actually exactly what happened is yes, they did play together and record the album in this guy's parents' barn where they were all together as a band, basically rehearsing and writing this album in real time while recording it, which I think is something that should be done more often. Now there's a producer in our area, Josh King, and he's the uh, drummer from, uh, from Swift and he actually, Jamie, Jamie King. Sorry. I knew Josh wasn't right. I didn't feel confident in Josh, but I was like, you know what? We got to go. Maybe that's where it comes from. So, there's a musician around this area named Josh King, I okay. think. Um, Maybe yeah, Jamie that's what King, that, I don't, And he actually records uh, and produces quite a lot of albums for a lot of local bands, some of which are really good and some of which are really not. But, you know, they pay for his time. They get his production. And he actually recorded so many of them in his parents' basement with his dad's tools on the wall. You know? Right. And I think that that really comes through in a lot of his, and, his, and, and his work. Give Jamie a little bit more credit than that. He's also recorded and produced between the Buried and Me and oh, Scale yeah. the oh, Summit. Yeah. Oh, Lots yeah. of big natural acts too. Right, um, right, right. And I'm not taking away from that at all. And I believe he actually did quite a bit of those in a yeah. smaller area, a smaller studio, which they've gone on because they they've done the work to to do that. And some of his other, you know, productions definitely deserve more recognition. But well, well. You might have to do a Swift record one day because that's my favorite, like North Carolina band. Oh, I, um, I love some Swift, but but yeah, Jamie yeah. King, uh, good dude. He's uh, he's helped me on some projects before. And now, okay, so back to this record. Yeah, so right. You said the first four songs are all great; they're all fantastic. Yes, and then track five, "A Night at the Spleen," is where the album starts you, to drop down for me. I think it's still a good song, and I really like this song, but it's not as good as those first four. And this is actually the song I was talking about. And I explain, there's a bar in Melbourne called The Spleen, mm -hmm. and this song was about just a serendipitous kind of night where everything like flowed together, had good people around, the band had a blast out at the spleen. A night so at the spleen. let me correct something you said there. Um, this song is absolutely as good as the first four. Okay. It is my and favorite on the record. This song is a banger. Okay. This is like, I called it sexy emo. <laughs> it's got like this funky groove to it. It's got this, like I said, there's this fun, almost sexual energy to it that is never repeated anywhere on the album. This is the only song that sounds like this. Now, I, I brought this up earlier. I've listened to some of their other stuff, and I've heard this vibe in some of the other songs. But to me, this song really popped. Like, I was grooving to the first four songs, having a good time, and then this one came on. And again, you know, we've talked about all these styles of music that I like. You know I like that pop groove oh, yeah. bounce. That and good. that's, oh, there's so much of that into this song. This one's my favorite on the record. So 
this is not a bad song by any means. This is where the album takes a turn and starts going down. No, I, no, this okay. is still before the turn. Okay. It, this has a fun guitar solo in it. The guitar solo in this band or in this song is something that not a lot of bands do where they put a very prominent solo in a song on an album. A lot of songs will have on different albums will just have like a little, you know, solo part, but this song has a solo that really shines through. I do love this song until the song starts. Now, Yes, their other albums do have more of this feeling, and I think that might be one of the reasons why I was struggling with the song, or why I struggled with the song on this album as a whole, because it is so different from the first four, and it's different from the other from the rest of the album. And I think that's why I think it starts to, starts to be where the album goes down. But I don't think it's a bad song at all. It's a good I song. Don't know. It's fun, but I, I guess it just didn't fit the rest of it. I feel like what this song does is it takes the chaotic guitars and rhythms of the first four songs, slows it down and locks it into a little bit more of a groove. And again, as a musician kind of like picking out the instrumentation, it feels like the first four songs just with a different groove behind it. So it didn't feel out of place to me. And yeah, just that, that groove feel felt really good right here to your point about the album starting to shift. I agree with you. I just think it starts after a night at the spleen. I think that starts with track six. I'm a ghost of twilight. I'm a ghost of twilight okay. I I don't hate this song, but this to me feels like a different band. Okay. Yes. So I don't hate this album at all. I don't hate any track on this album. I feel like there's a couple, I feel like there's probably two tracks that they could have left off and it would have been fine. It would have actually improved the album, but I'm a ghost of twilight really changes the tempo. It's a, Mm -hmm. it's a more down tempo than the rest of the album. And that's fine to have a you know a breather track as we've talked about a good album has where the band recognizes that hey we need to take uh take it down take it slow yeah and the it this song does have a dark undertone really in lyrics only and you know it does really slow down that tempo but the the quality or the the content of the lyrics if you go back and you listen to them if you haven't before it really does go down but the chorus is the only part of this song of this uh this yeah this track the song that jumps out to me. The rest of the song really kind of doesn't at all. Well, and so again, you know, being a guitar player, I did like the fact that they went a little different direction with the guitar licks and tones on this one. There's even a lap steel uh guitar in there, which I is... thought I heard that but I wasn't sure. not the kind of thing a lot of emo bands are going to be throwing out there no um, but of course yellow card had a violin <laughs> that's not sure, something sure and and a lot of bands do that kind of thing and it's i don't want to say a gimmick because i like yellow card so i'm not calling that the violinist a gimmick there's another band i really like called siamese that have a violinist slash piano slash you know auxiliary player almost hey um, um circus survive has a cello player so yeah you know yeah see if so it works, cool. it works. But I, I feel like this is just the guitar players in this band stretching their muscles, just being like, hey, let's, you know, not only can we do these staccato hammer on, pull off, yeah. riffs, we can also do this real chill, almost twangy country song. I didn't, I I like didn't catch this. country twang, but I can, I can see that. But go on. This one feels very like Western. More Western than country, that's fair. but very twangy, very jangly. The guitar tone has that jangle to it. I like this song. I just, I, this felt like 
okay, we're, we, we need to cool off a little bit. The first five songs are all pretty upbeat, so we're going to cool off. Yeah. And if this was the cool off and then it picked back up, I'd be okay. But it goes from cool off to cool down. Ice cold frozen. Yeah. Um, well, literally, I, the song is called Permafrost. Right, right. With a song called Permafrost. You gotta like the title sets you up for what's what's coming. You know, we've actually. And are, and are we gonna call that a song? Ah, I long we, enough to be one. We we should call it a missed cut because <laughs> it should it have is. been cut. This is not. This has got to be the weak, the weakest put on this album. Honestly, this has to go. This has to go. This is three minutes of homeboy like hollering in the other room with like ambient noises. I can't. It's it's acoustic guitar with atmospheric synth and him yelling from a different room. Those were actually my notes I, I had on here, and I actually had this as a filler track. That that's what this is. And it needs not to go. Need to there. It's fine, but it's 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 a fine song for when you're not paying attention. It sounds like the kind of thing that after the album is over and it goes on for four or five minutes of just blank space, this all of a sudden this kicks in and it kind of freaks you out and it's kind of weird. And then it's just, you know, but as an actual track on your album and it goes on for three minutes. No. Absolutely not. Which, They've made so many good decisions up until this point. I yeah. don't know why this is here. Which I actually think this song damaged the album because I do too. It really kind of confused the pace. You know, we had this cooldown track and then it goes into permafrost, which kind of made me go, okay, where where are we going? And then we get deluge. <laughs> Okay, so the very first thing I have in my notes is not sure if it's just because it came after Permafrost, but this one feels a little more subdued compared to the first half of the album. Yeah, it hits a lot of the same marks, but it just doesn't do much to set itself apart from all the other songs and bands. And it, I don't know, like I, I was one of our previous episodes. Uh, I think it was the Thornhill one. I said, coming out of the little interlude, I hope the next song is important. And, and I believe, I believe that you actually said your notes said, "Now we're cooking." Yeah, uh, coming in hot, coming in hot. Yeah, and I remember I actually just listened to that episode of ours. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, and I feel like with this one, they kind of started on a on a track that could put you there. And that's one of the things that actually kind of uh, frustrated me about this is I love that f that steady floor tom and the acapella yeah. vocals over top of it. This body's riddled with and then it goes into well-constructed but disappointed. <laughs> it It sounds like, put it this way, up until this point, I felt like these guys, you had to put them in the same category as Emery and The Used and My Chemical mm -hmm. Romance and all those bands. That, But they didn't sound like those bands. No. That was just the best thing you could do. To me, this just kind of sounds like those bands. Like See, This one before this, didn't really stand out to me. Before this, we had a band heading towards a headliner. And then this track really kind of put them down to... You're going to be an opener. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I will say, I will say out of the mess that is everything after permafrost, I do like the next song after birth. I think that one's good. So can we talk about how actually within our you know breakdown of these tracks the titles are actually very appropriate for certain certain things because well after birth 
is a great song. The afterbirth comes after the baby. <laughs> and and it's like we had this like amazing beginning into like a slowdown and then bleh, the afterbirth. <laughs> you not make that sound ever again. That is nope. I we will... have to put a parental advisory sticker on this episode now because of that noise. Bleh. Yeah. <laughs> and all right. So this one, Let's okay, talk so about this one, this one gave me that this one more than any of the other ones gave me big protest the hero vibe. And that I love that band. So I was totally on board with it. It's got a little bit of this attitude and swagger that a lot of the other songs didn't have. I I I like that there's this um juxtaposition between the super fast technical lead guitar parts but then sort of the simple lyrical guitar solo it's real like you know they they did all the flashy stuff in the verses and then simplified it for the solo which is kind of a neat play on it um i liked how you put that the how'd you say it the vocal guitar what did you put in there so okay so let me let me clarify something about my uh guitar terminology so as a guitar player i'm not any good okay so you're not bad you're you're not bad i mean i've heard better but you're not bad sure i would uh so i mean i'm more of a rhythm player and i i I'm good at coming up with riffs. I'm good at grooving, playing like groovy, you know, rock and roll stuff. But anyway, anytime I'm in a band where I'm the only guitar player or just the song calls for some kind of a lead thing, my guitar solos and leads are typically a little more lyrical and melodic. And I approach it almost like a vocal melody because, yeah, I can do a little bit of tap and I can do a little bit of, you know, cool bends and and whatever but i'm just i'm not that super technically proficient when it comes to leads and and soloing so i like a guitar solo that is simple that does get stuck in your head like a vocal melody and i feel like afterbirth for as technical as the guitar players are all over this record but in the verses of the song they then kind of slow it down for a more like lyrical style solo. And I thought that was cool. I like that they did that. No. And I think that's interesting because I actually hear a lot of guitar solos in lyrics and and vocal melodies. And I actually will kind of hear a vocal melody as a guitar solo, you know, and Mm -hmm. I didn't know anybody else heard that. I just always have. (laughs) Yeah. Like uh, a lot of my, and we'll actually um, little, future cast here we're going to do an album that i play guitar on and when we do that i will explain very clearly like that's a guitar solo that i play like that's the kind of guitar solo that i can do and feel real comfortable in and and, but but the guitars on this album in general but especially on this song god just i love the guitars on this song so i did say before that the album is very front heavy yeah, but this song is a pickup to me. It Before, is it, like it's like the if I were to give you a visual representation of the back half of this, it would look like a, the New York Stock Exchange. It would just be going <laughs> up and down because it's like the lows fell pretty low here, but this one shoots up and then it drops back down after this. But this one is where it's almost like they're doing a melodic prog rock here in this and i like it i like it a lot and the guitars really jumped out to me on this it was you know jazzy but not too and then funky but not too and i don't know it was it was really well crafted it's a little jagged but it's not and it hurts but it feels good and (laughs) again and i think that a lot of those emotions that you're feeling comes from the fact that they are all in the same room playing this together. Now, I 100% believe that they did after that, that was scratch tracks. They got what they needed and then went in and filled in the gaps and tightened it up. But I feel like part of that jaggedness comes from the fact that they, the drummer didn't go in and lay down the drums. Yep. Followed by the bass player. 
right. followed by the guitar players. Like it feels like they were recording as a group, and that I, I mean, you could call it sloppy, but I don't. I think that's disrespectful. I don't think it's sloppy, but that's where that sort of just chaotic feel comes from some of the songs. So I tried to put kind of how this song made me feel into a descriptor. And it actually came when I was just watching clips of stuff on uh, on my phone. This song feels like I'm about to win some shit on Price is Right. It is a confidence booster kind of song. Yep. Yep. This this song should go on my playlist to get like energy to get prepared for something. You know, if I was going out on dates, (laughs) it would be on the playlist for it. So, all right. And and that's the end of the album, folks. There's no reason to continue. We'll stop there. Nope. Nope. It's not the end. It's not the end. So no, after this comes a, a fall. I don't know how to pronounce the first word. I'm I don't know to... either. I knew you were stalling because you didn't know how to say it. Um, oh, Rikabo message? Jeez, that can't be right. I was going to say Arcebo. Okay, see, I've pronounced it with a hard C and a, a soft C, but R-E-C-I-B-O. For anybody listening that wants to know why we're having trouble pronouncing it, and if you know how to pronounce it, then please shoot us a message somewhere. Just and an Australian word or something? I guess so. Okay, and so I had to find why this song sounded so different, and so I'm just going to... Uh, okay. What the lead singer said in an interview, the key change at the end of the song simply came about because we wanted to do a Fleetwood Mac version of the chorus instead of retooling the whole song around that idea. We figured we'd be, we would do it the lazy way, Beyonce, love on top way. We should have probably gone up, gone up another six, 165 times like she did too. And so that's why this song actually doesn't work is because it's a lazy song. This is a great background cooking song, but that's the only place I found where this song actually felt fine because there's too many changes. They tried to go lazy on this one. I feel like this was a filler track on the album where they were like, Hey, we need to record an album, but we've got these other songs that we've been working on. And that's where you get the so many changes from. And they just pieced it all together. This song really does not work. No. Uh, the only thing that sticks with me is I feel like he keeps saying precious little worms. Yeah. I think he's saying precious I, little ones, but it sounds like worms. And it, it does. It does. You're right. And it, it doesn't work. That's the only part I remember. I, this song does not work for me at all. No. All right. So let's move on past it to what, in some places as listed as a uh, slash hyphenated track, and in some places is listed as two separate tracks. So couldn't let you love me slash had to put it in the soil. Mine was two separate tracks. Okay. On Spotify, it's listed as two separate tracks. On the album, I believe on some prints, it was listed as separate. On some, it was listed as the same. But the singer talks about it as it's one track. And actually, if you listen to it as one track, it It works. Right. Yeah. Which does extend it out. But even still, as I said before, for a band with prog elements, they don't take forever to get to the point. And even with this, it comes out to be like a five and a half minute track. You know, if you put them together, yeah. still not a super long song, but longer than than uh, than others. But this, I think, is a great way to close the album because it is a simple kind of jazzy prog rock track in itself. It's something that kind of gives you a mid-tempo close 
I think it's a great closer. It's nothing that really jumps out and nothing that really hits you. It's not super powerful. I just thought it was a great closer. It kind of gave you a nice little palate cleanser if you want to go on to listen to something else. Yeah, I like this one. Um, I really did like the um, couldn't let you love me part. I thought the it the the it's basically just acoustic guitars. It's a little bit European. It's a little bit Spanish. It almost sounds like the start of a Dragon Force song, and I kind of dig that. Uh, and then had to put it in the soil. You're exactly right. They flow into each other really nicely. It makes sense that... just be one long closing track and i mm-hmm. think that would be just fine the one thing i really really did like about this last song is for an album that i would think most people would say the highlights of the record are the guitars and the vocals the album ends with bass and drums yeah and i thought it was a really cool way to to end the record uh, originally i had in my notes that I would remove permafrost and put the little couldn't let you love me there. Mm-hmm. But I really do think couldn't let you love me and had to put it in the soil have to touch one another. Yeah. So I think ultimately I would probably just take out permafrost and maybe, you know, our scar Cacibo message, <laughs> you know, uh, just, just do away with that and altogether. But no, I think this is a good, good way to end the album. I do. So, We've talked before about how certain albums like track listing is just out of order. If you had a different track listing on it, I think it was actually the Thornhill episode. We talked about that a lot and I've actually yeah. gone and put the track listing in the order that I think, and I think the album actually works a lot better, you know, put together a little playlist for that. But I don't think that this track listing is out of order. I just think there's some tracks that don't need to be in there. Like this is a 12 track album, make it a 10 track album. Yeah. It's a little bit shorter yeah. of an album, but it's going to work a lot better because even that couldn't let you love me and had to put in the soil couldn't let you love me is a minute, seven seconds put or had to put in the soil is four minutes, 27 seconds, even putting those together. It's not six minutes long and it's fine. It's fine. And, and on an album that has prog elements and has been really fast, tight and concise this whole time, ending your record with something a little more experimental that still, you know, harkens back to previous tracks. I think that's fine. Yeah. And, and I think that, that, yeah, I agree. I think that I, uh, I, I want to choose my words carefully because I think these guys are really, really talented and I, they were probably pretty young when they did this album, but I think they got a little bit full of themselves and were sort of like, let's, let's just do all this weird stuff because we're, so cool like like permafrost makes no sense to me like i don't understand who thought that was a good idea to put in the middle of your album unless it's very intentional and then you get into this whole pretentious like you know the second half is a moodier darker record that we needed to separate okay don't don't do that like yeah i don't know i feel like permafrost on the whole vibe changed yep. and i feel like had that song not been there i wouldn't have even noticed i would have been like okay we're getting to the back half of the album we got some slower tunes we got you know after birth is still a banger but you know we're, we're, we're getting to the back half we're, we're switching it up and slowing it down a little but because that permafrost is there it just completely colors the way i feel about the back half i feel like permafrost should have been a live track a live song you know, like, hey, we've got this song that we really like, but we didn't want to put it onto an album, but we still like playing it. You know. Could have been the intro. That could have been yep. the the lights are down, the curtains down. You got yep. the weird ambience lighting. Sure. Yeah but- the the uh, the sound guy has turned off the uh, in sync and Britney Spears to keep the crowd happy because everybody loves those now. 
And then Permafrost comes on, it plays, the band comes on to finish the song, and then they go into the concert. Yeah. Okay, I can get behind that, for sure. I don't think this needed to be a 12-track album. I feel like a 10-track album, take off a few, and you've got a, you've got a solid album. Just now, through. And we've talked about this before, and will on other episodes, I'm sure. To me, an album is at least 10, 11, 12 songs. I like a good 12 or 13. That's kind of where I'm at. But I also respect the band saying, look, we've got these seven. We got these eight. We're going to put it out. It's going to, you know, we can release three or four more as a B-side collection or whatever. To me, this could have very easily been one of those things. And it would have been kind of a, a just a spark. It would have been something that really stood out amongst their peers. I think you take the first six songs. And put Afterbirth somewhere in there. So now you got seven songs and you end with that I'm a ghost of Twilight. So there's your slowdown, your kind of weirder vibe. But you've got six bangers followed by that. You've got an EP that I feel like is untouchable. An EP um, that's going to get attention. Yeah. And now, but instead, what you end up with is this collection of great songs with clear filler smashed in there and even according to what you said even some of the guys in the band recognize that there's some laziness and some filler here that's not good and that's not the kind of mentality that is going to break you amongst your peers right and i and i think that's uh, that's the main reason that i think this didn't quite reach the heights of some of the other bands that are of this genre. Right. And I mean, if the band is re- uh, recognizing it, if they're admitting it, the fans, the listeners are obviously going to hear that in it. Is this a bad album? Not by any means. Not at all. I think it's an album with some misplaced steps, but I love this album to this day. I'll still throw it on. And yeah, that first half of the album definitely jumps out more. Back half of the album definitely drops off. But like I said, it's got some peaks in it. And I do like the way it closes overall. I do. I do too. So speaking of closing, do you want to give me your assessment? Sure. So you can hear all the influences in this album. You can hear the emo of Emery, the guitar worship of protest, the hero, that modern eighties synth wave revival of bands like the killers. And it could have sounded like a sloppy mess, but it never really does. Some songs are stronger than others, but these guys managed to put out a record that slotted in nicely with their contemporaries while sounding wholly different. The hooks, aren't quite as defined as you hear in bands like fallout boy and my chemical romance and some of the bands that came just a few years before them. And because of some of their choices, I see why it never reached mainstream success. However, as a musician, there is a lot to love here. Uh, There's a lot of unique ideas and original songwriting tricks. I was a pretty big fan of a lot of the other bands in this scene, and I'm genuinely surprised that this passed me by without me ever hearing it. But I'm glad I have now, and this is a band I will revisit from time to time. One to ten, overall, I give the album a six. Six is fair. I mean, I'm honestly a little surprised that you didn't hear this band either. I was a little surprised when you told me that you had never heard them before. And I think a big part of it is because they did kind of hit the scene and they, I feel like this is one that is a like B C level band that deserves to be a little bit higher, and Cause, and cause they do bounce and groove that you like. At this at this juncture in my musical career, I was playing in bands that we were really big influenced by bands like uh, Fall Out Boy and My Chemical Romance, uh, Coheed, like that kind of style and so a lot of those b tiers like your silversteins and your seosins i was hearing a lot of that stuff too i didn't necessarily gravitate towards all of it because that's not my preferred genre of music but i was familiar with a lot of the b tier and the c tier and like autopilot off and like bands that you had to be kind of in to to even know they existed because there was Um, no there was no radio station that played emo no and I've and I've got one of those BC tier bands that's one of my all time favorites, and I'll save that for a later episode. Yeah. But 
so yeah, I was a little bit surprised that at no point did one of my buddies bring over this album or say, yeah. Hey, have you heard this band? I think it's because they're they from did. Australia. I think that's a big part of it. I think mm-hmm. music today is a lot easier to access. So if there was something popping off overseas, it, it you know, you had to just kind of get lucky to to know that it was happening. I think Spotify has made music way more accessible, but you still have to have somebody tell you to listen to it. With streaming, it has become far easier to be mediocre. Yeah, that's fair. All right. (laughs) So my summarization of this band, this album, this is a band that takes after Genesis, Yes, and Pink Floyd and other giants of the 70s, but with a different stream of progressive rock. Some would say one that originated with the Mars Volta. I'm going to say one that's originated with at the drive-in. The music is that of complex arrangements, high energy, and at times, absolutely insane vocals. First Temple features 12 relatively concise tracks, being a prog rock band without taking forever to get to the point. The tempos and arrangements play well against the quieter sections utilizing acoustic guitar and atmospheric synths. I think I want to be slightly more on board with this album than I actually am, but really the only issue is that not every track works entirely on its own. The tracks that do work, work extremely well. They blend technical musicianship with a plethora of hooks. This album is generally fun and is accessible, and you aren't mad if the album is accidentally left on repeat. I gave this album a seven. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. so you gave me about the same Yep. All right. So that puts us at a 6.5 for this album, which puts it above Caroline's fine. No, excuse me. Puts it right above OK Computer at 6.25 and right below Ongoing Concept. Uh, their album places at 6.75. So can't be any more in the middle of those two albums. So Wow. That's, yep. I'm glad you're keeping track of this because that's I, I'm glad. I just yeah. I want to. As this goes on, it'll be funny to see how this all pans out. Yeah, and that's that's one of the reasons why I want to do it, because it's really interesting to see, like, we take an album and go, okay, this is what we think of it. This is the score we gave it. Does it belong there? Right, (laughs) right. Yeah. So, like, I, I understood why certain albums fell in certain places, but I feel like this album is better than Ongoing Concept. I Honestly... They, they're, there's a lot of the same beats. Yeah, um, yeah, a lot of the same a lot beats. Of but between the two of them, yeah. But I would listen. I would listen to this album more than I would listen to places. Uh, yeah, I would have to agree with you on that. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, what album are we talking about next week? So next week we are going to talk about the album Memento Mori by Flyleaf. Okay, I am. Very excited to talk about that one. All right. Time. Well, we will, uh, we'll dive into that album next week for sure. I listened to it all this week. I've already listened to it a little bit, you know, just try yep. to prepare myself for it. And I realized I've actually heard it before. So, but it's been a long time. Well, well, and that was one of the reasons I wanted to do it because I think so many people have heard their first album because they had a couple of pretty big hits off of it yep. that, I don't know that as many people have heard this one. And so that's kind of why I wanted to talk about it. Yeah. No, all good. All right, cool. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Breakdowns for Breakfast. If you have a suggestion for an album that you'd like to hear us discuss, please shoot it on over to uh, dangerandsarge at gmail.com or just go out to the internet and make some smoke signals. I don't know. Just, yeah. So, all right. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your day. Bye. Later. Ha <laughs> ha.